You're listening to Sermon Audio from First Baptist Church of Van Walsteen. For more information about First Baptist Church and our services, please visit www.fbcva.com. It struck me that as we were worshiping together that the language of a couple of those songs may have uh, seemed a little weird to you. Um, uh, Let me just assure you uh, that uh, they have a biblical foundation. Uh, That first song about being called out of a grave, (laughs) Um, being made alive, singing about being dead and trespasses and sins. I I often wonder uh, how songs like that fall on those who do not yet know the Lord. Uh, I just want to assure you that Paul writes to the Ephesians uh, in Ephesians chapter 2, and it says, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. That'd be a pretty dim statement, wouldn't it? (laughs) Here's what it says next, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you've been saved, made alive, raised up with him. And That's not even the sermon today, y'all. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, let's take our Bibles and turn to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6. And with that, I do hope and pray that you have, in fact, turned from your sin to faith in Jesus Christ and been made alive. And you know what it is to be called out of that grave of your sin and your shame to life in Christ. Well, we are in a Sunday morning series that we've called Rhythms. And in this series, we are looking at God's desire to use the normal flow of our everyday lives for His glory and the advancement of His kingdom. Uh, we've looked at Eating, hospitality, we've looked at Sabbath rest, we have looked at work and worship and the word, and today we're going to look at the rhythm of prayer. Um, Eugene Peterson uh, refers to uh, the Christian journey, a walk with the Lord, as a long obedience in the same direction, and what we're trying to do in this series is unpack what is uh, often referred to as the spiritual disciplines and how God intends uh, for us to actively uh, live out our faith. Uh, the walk with the Lord is, is a journey, to be sure. Uh, it is more like a marathon, certainly, than a sprint. Uh, and there are times when you feel like, man, this is all uphill. Uh, life's coming at me real fast, and it's hitting hard right now. There are the times where you feel like, I'm kind of coasting right now. It's, it's nice being on the downhill slope. Um, But in all of that, God intends for us to live out our faith, to not have some kind of disconnect between the secular part of our lives and the, quote, sacred part of our lives. And so uh, in that, God intends to use these normal, everyday things uh, and for us to engage with him on a regular, ongoing basis. And I suppose this matter of prayer is one that is often misunderstood. It's often confused. I think a lot of people view prayer much like they would uh, the little uh, fire extinguisher that sits under your kitchen sink, maybe. Like, you, you know in the back of your mind that it's there, but the only time you really would give it any thought or even would go, go grab it would be when there's a fire, when there's an obvious need, right? 
Uh, I think that's how some people maybe view prayer. It's like, you know, the break glass pull down, you know, when there's an emergency. But God intends for us to walk in a rhythm of prayer. And hopefully we will uh, unpack that a little bit today. Isn't it interesting how much communication has changed during our lifetime? Even the youngest here. Communication seems like it's changing all the time. Um, Some of you are old enough, certainly, to remember uh, having a party line, right? I won't ask you to raise your hand because you'll show your... Oh, go ahead. Y'all aren't aren't ashamed, right? Those old party lines, right? So, like, whoever else was on your party line could, like, pick up on your call and listen in. I mean, what a weird thing, right? I am old enough, however, to remember when everybody, like, had house phones, and I could, you know, be on the phone with a friend or whatever, and I could hear my sister in the other room trying to pick up on the call and listen in, you know, that kind of thing. Which most of us now, we don't even have house phones anymore, right? Oh, man, call me on my cell phone. Uh, and even that, I, I know for a fact that some of you never, did you know that your smartphone can actually be used like a telephone? Like, you can actually dial a number and call someone with those. Some of you are like, don't call me. What are you doing calling me? Text me. You know, it's like communication is changing all the time. And certainly with the development of the internet has come a multitude of communication platforms, ways for people to communicate. Uh, We have blogs and vlogs and all these different forms of social media, and they all uh, work a little differently. And so I I did a little research. I was just curious. It had been a long time since I'd looked uh, at some of these numbers. Twitter. How many of you are on Twitter? About four of you are willing to admit that, okay? That's probably a good thing. That's probably a good thing. Um, There's there's not much uh, quality found there these days, it seems like. Um, uh, Certainly there can be, but uh, you remember Twitter is like where you could put out, initially it was like 140 characters, right? And remember when you'd start, uh, you know, typing in something or whatever, uh, you would see the the word count going down. You're like, man, I'm not done with this sentence, and I only have, you know, six more characters, you know. So it kind of forced you to be uh, precise in your communication or your language. And then people realize, well, I can just do, you know, two of ten, three of ten, four of ten, five of ten. So then you have to post a thread. Well, you know, then they doubled the character count. Now it's like 280 characters or, or whatever. And so that's a way that some people try to communicate. They try to uh, communicate all sorts of things. And it, it can be super toxic, like any form of communication. Um, Twitter has 330 million active users. Isn't that crazy? There are 500 million tweets every day. Somewhere around there, obviously, give or take. Okay, some of you, more of you, I'm sure, are, will still admit that you're on Facebook, okay, right? Some of you maybe are watching our service today on Facebook Live, okay? Uh, so check this out. Facebook now has 2.9 billion active users. 2.9 billion active users. Even that platform, that social media platform has changed, hasn't it? You ever see something pop up in your memories, those of you who are on Facebook, and it shows one of your statuses from like 2009? I saw one the other day. It was like, you know, it, back then it was like, Mike Lovely dot, dot, dot is like eating a hot dog. Like as if the whole world wants to know that I'm eating a hot dog, for goodness sake. You know, it's just like, I just say, what, what were we doing? Like, that's so weird. But then there's times, I would kind of like to go back to that, I, you know, with what it's become now, um, you know, like it's just like this minefield of toxicity and, uh, and all this stuff and crazy to think that people would actually get their news, view Facebook as an actual news source and they probably just cut off our live stream right about there, I don't know. But anyway, 
so, you know, there's all these different ways that we communicate. You know, we posted pictures, and so you can kind of keep up with friends and family. And it has been fun for, for many of us to kind of watch our friends' kids grow up over the years and those kind of things, people that we've uh, known for a number of years but live far away. And then there's text messaging. Text messaging. You know, church leadership, we, we often talk about ways in which we communicate. And we have, at times, wrongly assumed that certain age groups prefer certain forms of communication. But what we have discovered uh, is not everybody's the same. We've got senior adults in our church, y'all. Senior adults, like genuine old people who prefer text messaging. Uh, you wouldn't think that, right? Okay? Uh, but it's true. Text messages. Listen to this. There are some six billion text messages sent each day. Sent each day. Oh, I want you to stop and think about something. This may be seem kind of a weird thought, but if you had to use one of those means of communication to talk to God, which one would you choose? Would you like tweet at God? I'm, I'm convinced there's probably some people that that's kind of what your prayer life looks like. Man, I kind of keep it to 140 characters, and if I, you know, maybe 280. Would you tweet at him? I mean, would you, or would you send him a message on Facebook or text? How, how would you do that? And Jace has even brought up in, in his preaching on uh, Sabbath and some of those things, how tied we are to these communication devices and how we pick them up hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of times a day and those kinds of things. But I have to wonder how many times in all of our communicating do we really genuinely communicate with God? Communicate with God. Now, if I was to ask you, what is your preferred form of communication? You would probably say, this is be my answer, well, it depends. It depends on with whom I want to communicate, okay? And it would depend on what I want to communicate. So there are times that I feel like it's perfectly appropriate for me to text my wife. In the middle of the day, I'm sitting in my office, I'm working, whatever, and I think, I, I'm, I start thinking about my wife. And so I may pick up my phone, send her a little text that simply says, hey, babe, just wanted you to know I'm thinking about you. Heart emoji, you know, or kissy emoji or whatever, Okay. That's all the info I'm giving you on those kinds of messages this morning, all right? Um, but yeah, it's perfectly appropriate. But I can guarantee you, my wife would say, that's not the only way that I want you to communicate with me. If that's the only way you communicate with me is in a text message, that doesn't say a whole lot for the health of our relationship, right? So I, I, I think we have to stop and think about how do we communicate with God? Just when there's a dire emergency and we've reached the end of our own resources and giftedness and talents and all that stuff, then, and, and I know what we mean many times, like the only thing that's left to do now is pray. Surely we don't mean that it's just a last resort, right? I would hope not. That's where the whole idea of having a rhythm of prayer comes in. So do we need training in this area? Over 30-some years of pastoral ministry, I've met so many people who would say, one area in which I struggle in my, in my walk with the Lord is really in prayer. I mean, I would challenge some of you to, to like try to pray for more than like five minutes. I know there was a time in my life where I found it difficult. Like five minutes seemed like forever. Okay, and it's not about, you know, God's not got a stopwatch, and he's like, you know, gauging your spirituality based upon the number of minutes you... But, but I think so many times we just don't view prayer and, and the value of prayer the way that we should. So we do need training in this area. 
Uh, obviously, uh, the disciples needed training. In Luke chapter 11, they asked, Lord, teach us to pray. Teach us to pray. We didn't know how to do this. In our text here today, Matthew chapter 6, you'll find that Jesus corrects the religious practices that he was seeing every day in his earthly ministry, uh, among the religious people of his day even, including prayer. So many times we neglect to pray because we prize our intellect and our abilities and our resources. We're not a whole lot unlike our kids as they get older. And the more independent they get and the more they're able to do things, what do they say? No, I do it myself. I do it myself. And, and you want that. You don't want your kids, as they continue to grow up, to be so totally dependent on you for everything. And that's where the illustration breaks down, because we need to be totally dependent upon the Lord every day of our lives. We need to depend upon Him. So if we have all the things that we feel like we need to take care of a problem, whether it's the resources or the intellect or the giftedness or whatever the case may be, then many times we can develop an attitude, whether we would actually articulate it or not, that I don't really need God right now. So we're content to kind of hold him at arm's length a lot of times. A lot like we can do a friend. A friend can reach out and say, hey, if you need anything, let me know. Okay, I'll let you know if I need you for anything, right? And that's sometimes what we do with God. I'll let you know if I need you for anything. Well, God has no desire to be some sort of a cosmic bellhop for us. Like, just ring the bell and I'll come running and, you know, grant your every wish. I think that's kind of the view that a lot of people who ascribe to a prosperity theology would see. They see God as some sort of grandfatherly type figure who just wants to dote on his grandbabies all the time and spoil them real good and make sure they get more ice cream and donuts and all that stuff. And so that's, that's kind of their theology. God is all about making me healthy, wealthy, and wise, you know, that kind of thing. But is that really the God of the Bible? Paul Miller wrote uh, a great book that I would encourage you to pick up. It's called A Praying Life. And he said this, Our trust in ourselves and in our talents makes us structurally independent of God. So cultivating the rhythm of prayer is one of the most foundational means of grace that God uses to bring about gospel renewal in us as individuals and in us corporately as a church. And in this series, we have attempted to lay a framework that we have called dependent discipline. Dependent discipline. We're not attempting to just give you a list of things that you need to do so you can check a box and, and somehow kind of earn you know, God's good favor. That's not what this is about. This is about us growing in Christ-likeness. It's about our very sanctification. And so what, what brings these two things together is this. We, we need both dependence on God and a disciplined life in order to grow in God's grace uh, to maturity in Him. Paul Miller also says in that same work, he says that a needy heart is a praying heart. Dependency is the heartbeat of prayer. And until we can wholeheartedly say and believe that apart from you, Jesus, I can do nothing. Remember what he said there in John chapter 15, verse 5, I'm the vine, you are the branches. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Unless we fully grasp and understand that, then we probably will not see prayer the way that we should and develop a rhythm of prayer like we should. So I think we need to ask the question, what is prayer? What is prayer? I mean, we would define it a lot of different ways. Some people would say fundamentally prayer is talking to God. That's, that's not wrong. Uh, but it's not intended to just be a one-way conversation. 
Okay, so some people pray as if they need to inform God of something every day. You know, like, oh, good, Mike's now, you know, get a clue. <laughs> and he's going to inform me of things I don't know. That's, that's not what praying is, is it? Certainly not if we believe, as we say we do, in the omniscience of God, the sovereignty of God. So we're not going to inform God of something that he doesn't know. And we even see that in, in Scripture very clearly. So what is prayer? Prayer is, I would define it this way, communion with the Father through the mediation of the Son. 1 John 2.1 tells us we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. So in and of ourselves, we have no right to come before him. Right? I, I can't go, hey, it's like super righteous Mike Lovely, you know, coming to you in prayer right now. It's like my righteousness is like filthy rags. So I have to come in the righteousness of another, and that is the Lord Jesus Christ. So prayer is communion with the Father through the mediation of the Son and the assistance of the Spirit. You see the Trinity there, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit? Our triune God, one God expressed in three persons. Romans chapter 8 says, Likewise the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought. You ever been at that place before? You're like, I just don't even know how to pray right now. I, I've experienced that in the last 10, 12 days. Lord, I, I'm, I'm not sure how to pray right now. I, I, you know, I, I don't want to be guilty of like somehow trying to pray a loved one out of heaven or keep them here longer than certainly you want them to be here. And I, so sometimes we, we just don't know what to say. And so this is what it says in Romans chapter 8. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. So if you're here this morning, you're watching online, and you say, I've just got a situation in my life right now, I've got something going on, and I don't even know how to pray about it. I don't even know what to say. Okay, well, well God's not going to be confused by that. And it's okay to just admit that to the Lord. And say, Lord, I, I don't even know what to, to pray right now. But I'm just coming to you with just even the groanings of my heart and this particular burden for this thing. And so many times I, we get to that place. I had a professor in seminary who used to always say, when you don't feel like praying, pray. <laughs> pray. And so with that, I want us to look at Matthew chapter 6 this morning at verses 5 through 15. You likely have a heading in your Bible that says the Lord's Prayer. We actually want to pick it up in verse number 5 here. I mentioned earlier that Jesus is really addressing um, the hypocrisy of the Pharisees, of the religious leaders of his day. And so he says this, And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites. For they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them. For your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. See, we don't inform God of something. God's not going, oh, huh. He knows. Pray then like this. 
Now, I don't think it's a bad idea to recite the Lord's Prayer. That may be something that you do on a regular basis. I, I don't really think that's what Jesus is saying here, that this is a prayer that you need to, to, to recite. Um, and, and I think he's saying that this is a pattern that, that, will, that, that will allow you to give you more insight into how to pray. Pray then like this, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses." And so before we get to the, the text of what we would call the actual Lord's Prayer, it begins with our Father, I want us to notice that G Jesus seems to begin this teaching with some prayer don'ts. Do's and don'ts. He, he, these are some don'ts. He says essentially, don't fake it. Don't fake it. He, here's the thing. I can fool you, and you can fool me, but there's not one of us that can fool God. You are not going to fool God. I'm not going to fool God. So it's an exercise in futility to try to come to God putting on some kind of false air, uh, some kind of you know, prideful arrogance or something like that. You are not going to fool God. He, he knows your heart. So don't fake it. I remind you that in Luke chapter 18, verses 9 through 12, it says he also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous. So he's talking to a self-righteous crowd treated others with contempt. He says, two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus. I, I don't know what it is, but whenever I read a text like this, I just have to say it a certain way. I, uh, God. I can just almost hear this guy. Like, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, even like this tax collector. You can just sense the pride and the pretense and the hypocrisy. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. Come on, man. Like, what is that? Don't, don't fake it. He says, don't, don't, don't pray with hypocrisy. Don't pray with hypocrisy. That word hypocrisy, it's an interesting word in Scripture. It's actually, in the original language, it's a word that came from, uh, kind of a, a borrowed from the Greek theater. So Hippocrates was someone who played two parts. You ever see kind of the universal symbol for drama? It's what, two masks typically, like one smiling and one frowning? That's because in, in the theater at that time, people could literally, one person could play two parts. So you could put up a mask and you could play one part, and then over here you could take that mask down and you could put up another mask and you could play that part. That's where we get the idea of being two-faced. You ever said of someone who's, who's a hypocrite? They're, they're so two-faced. That's what he's getting at here. He's saying, don't, don't pray with a heart of hypocrisy. No, be sincere instead in your praying. Don't, don't disrespect the Father. And so he, he goes on to mention something. It may seem a little strange to us. But he says, if you look at verse number 7, he says, And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases. Do not heap up empty phrases. I think sometimes we get caught up on the exact wording 
and using certain words and, and phrasing things in a certain way as if somehow, with our amazing eloquence, we are going to impress God. I think that's what was happening here. Uh, the word that's used here in the Greek language is the word batalageo. It means to speak without thinking. To speak without thinking. See, the deal was, surrounding nations, they had really a low view of their gods, of their little g-gods. So much so that their prayers were often viewed as something that would be used to win the attention of their gods. So they would even view their gods as maybe at sometimes, you know, at times sleeping or on vacation, uh, you know, whatever. And so th- they never knew when their God might be available. And so they, they had to hope that one prayer would maybe slip through the cracks when, he, when that God was, was available. And so you would have to craft your prayer in such a way that somehow your God would be impressed with this prayer and be like, oh, I better give them some attention. That's, that's kind of the concept that we see here. So he's saying here, don't just heap up empty phrases and words as if somehow you're going to impress God. Again, God knows your heart. And so if it's just kind of groaning, you saying, Lord, I'm, I'm so stricken right now with, with, with whatever this issue is. I'm, just, I'm, I'm in a place where I, just, I don't know what to do. God, I just need your help. And some of the most powerful prayers in Scripture were that simple. God, help. Even, Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. I don't have it all figured out. I, I need your help. So some prayer don'ts. Don't fake it. Don't disrespect the Father. To put together clever words and those kinds of things. So what are some prayer do's? Well, then if you're not going to pray with hypocrisy, then you pray with sincerity. That's the opposite of hypocrisy. You've likely heard that the, the Latin word there. It's sinicere. It means without wax. In the Greek, it literally meant to be judged by the sun. And so if someone was in the marketplace and they picked up a, a piece of pottery or a, a bowl or something that had been cracked. It would be filled in with this waxy substance. And the way that you could tell is you, you often couldn't tell unless you hold it, held it up to the sun. It would be judged by the sun. And, and so that would be the idea. And so it wouldn't be uncommon to walk through the marketplace and see signs, sine sire, meaning without wax. Our pieces are sincere. They're the real deal. They're, they're not just you know, repaired, you might say. So pray sincerely and then pray humbly. Again, if you go back to verse number 5, notice what he says. Don't be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. What a self-righteous posture. So instead, pray humbly. God is holy. God is holy. And so again, we have no right in and of ourselves to stand in his presence. We need someone who can talk to God on our behalf, who can mediate for us, who can plead our case. And that one is Jesus. So if you don't go through Christ, you're wasting your time. There's one God and one mediator between God and men. That's the man, Christ Jesus. So we pray humbly. And then he says here, essentially, pray secretly. In verse number 6, as, as opposed to this outward show, this outward display, but when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Now, Jesus is certainly here not ruling out public prayer. 
Okay, scripture's clear. So many other scriptures that, that uh, command us even to gather, to pray together. We see the early church in Acts chapter 2 in its infant stages that they, they gathered and prayed. And scripture, that's where tell, scripture tells us that the room was shaken. That was at a prayer meeting, okay? So they were gathered to pray. So this is not to say that we shouldn't pray together or we shouldn't pray publicly. And so even this morning as I prayed for us, I was essentially praying on your behalf. I was lifting up a corporate prayer to God. And so I would use uh, certain pronouns. I would say, Lord, we, we, we gather here today to thank you for who you are and the work that you're doing in our midst. And so you could do, I guess, several things while I'm praying that prayer. You can, you can check out and be thinking about what you're going to eat for lunch in a little while. Or you can simply agree with me in prayer. So sometimes people will utter an amen during a corporate prayer. Or you could pray yourself, God, speak to my heart today through your word. Work in my life. Help me to see you in your holiness. And, and so, so certainly the teaching here is not to avoid any kind of public prayer. In fact, we see many times in Scripture the importance of that. And so I want us to, now we dive in in verse number 9 and look at the, the section of Scripture that we would call uh, the Lord's Prayer. He says, pray then like this. And I want you to notice, first of all, the Father's position. God is our Father. God is our Father. But I don't want you to mistakenly think today that God is everyone's Father. I know we sometimes like to say that. But there are some who are not in that kind of relationship with God. They are still at enmity with God. They are still, as we sang earlier, they are still dead in their trespasses and sins. So we're all God's creation. God's created us, but we're not all God's father in the spiritual sense that we see here today. And so think of the ideal, perfect father, which none of us have had here on earth. Okay, none of us. But think about all that God is. I mean, you, you, could just, you could go on and on and on and think about how God relates to us as his children and what he provides, security and provision and intimacy and accountability. And, but the truth is this, you must be rightly related to him to call him father. Jesus always called him father. God the son referred to God the father as the father, except on one occasion. And that was when he was hanging on the cross bearing our sin. And so if you this morning are here, or you're watching online, and you are still attempting to bear your own sin, then I have to tell you today, as lovingly as I can, you are not rightly related to God as Father. You are not. You cannot truthfully call Him Father. The Gospel says that we are born outside of His family. Some people, I, I'll ask them about their testimony, they go, oh, I was born a Christian. No, no, really, no one was born a Christian. No one was born a Christian. You may have been born into a Christian home or a home that valued uh, Christian teaching, valued Scripture, a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, and that's great. But until you personally have turned from your sin to faith in Jesus Christ, th th then you, you cannot rightly call him your father. You're not in that right relationship. The Scripture says that we are adopted into his family by, by faith. It's by grace through faith. And so we, we get rearranged priorities and a new family. It's then, it's then that we can call him Father. The Father's position, hallowed be your name. 
The second thing I want us to notice is the Father's priorities. The Father's priorities. Notice what it says. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So prayer is fundamentally not somehow, some way, trying to manipulate God. Trying to manipulate God to my, my way of thinking. There are a lot of people today who mistakenly think that God needs them to serve him in an advisory capacity. Well, God, if you would just see it from this perspective, maybe you would think differently. If you just would see it this way, you know. No, no, no. Prayer is fundamentally about us aligning our will with his. Prayer is about shaping us into who God wants us to be. So prayer that that is true to God's character and true to God's personality, for prayer to be powerful and for for prayer to be biblical, it must be in line with Scripture. I can guarantee you right now, if you are praying something that doesn't line up with Scripture, you're praying wrong. You're praying wrong. That's why we value praying Scripture itself. So it's all about His will. And if you know who God is, you're learning more and more every day as you practice some of these things that we've even been talking about in this rhythm series. The more you get to know God and what He values, it'll, it'll revolutionize your prayer life. His will, your kingdom, your will. Think of it, even, even in Luke chapter 22, Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, what did He say? Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. So what is so powerful about this prayer template is that it can transform us. It can transform us. Not my will, but yours be done. So, so, so what should, what, what should our, our view be? Well, I, I want your will... And I want my will to be aligned with your will, to be brought into alignment with your will, and I want to humbly submit to that. That's a prayer posture. The Father's priorities. And so many times, we just don't see it that way. We don't see the things that God is doing as being ultimately for our good and His glory. We don't. 25 plus years ago when I was diagnosed with type 1 diabetes and was told I would be dependent upon insulin every day of my life for the rest of my life unless there was a cure somehow. I, I, I struggled at first going, God, how, what in the world is this? I don't have time to be a diabetic. I don't have time to do all this stuff. But I can tell you that God has used it in some pretty profound ways to shape me and to mold me and to ultimately do good things in my life that make me look more like Jesus, hopefully, progressively. It's a whole other story and testimony. But I'm, my hope and prayer is that he's glorified even in that, in the weakness of my body. I want my will to be aligned with his will. I want us to consider, thirdly, the Father's power. You look at verse 11. It says, give us this day our daily bread. So prayer is fundamentally asking and receiving. Okay? It is more than that, but it is not less than that. Stop and think about it. So it's not just presenting a grocery list to God. Okay? As if he's, you know, going to pull your groceries and you just come through the pickup line. It's not, it's, it's more than that, but it is asking God for your needs. 
And he tells us, in fact, if you, you continue to look down in the text here in Matthew chapter 6, there's a whole section that ends this chapter that says, do not be anxious. And I want you to notice the language there. If you look down at like, uh, verse 26, for example, he says, look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap, or gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? If you skip to verse 28, he says, And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon, all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown in the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? If we're, why, why are you anxious? Why are you anxious? You trust God? Is he powerful enough to meet your needs? And that's where the the whole alignment of our will with his will, because many times we confuse our wants with needs. Surely none of you parents have ever experienced that with your kids, right? Like, I need, I need an iPad Pro, Dad. I need an iPad Pro, right? Do, Do you need that or do you want that? It's amazing. I don't know about you parents, but God has taught me so much through my role as a dad. <laughs> and about the time that I start thinking, these kids that you have given me, Lord, he reminds me, you know what? You're a whole lot like them. <laughs> and they get it from you. Because I, I try to relate to my Heavenly Father in the same way that they, they try to relate to me sometimes. To the Father's power. There was a woman who said one time to G. Campbell Morgan, she said, I don't bring the little things to God. I only bring the big things to God. As if that was, you know, some holy statement. And G. Campbell Morgan said, lady, anything you bring to God is little. <laughs> that, that's the beauty of it all. I think sometimes we think that, you know, like I can remember one day uh, when I was in school, I, like a lot of kids, I, I was not just super fond of algebra and uh, certainly had my struggles. And I, I was challenged one day by one of my teachers, like, have you prayed about it? And I was like, God cares about my algebra test? Yeah, God cares about your algebra test. Yeah, that's, that's, that's the amazing thing. God's fully capable of, of, of caring for all of those needs, all of those, even the things that we would consider little, minutia. God cares. He cares about those things. Ask God for your desires. Be careful, again, though, that we don't confuse our wants and our needs. Be careful to understand why God might sometimes say yes, and it may seem that he's saying yes immediately. But sometimes he says no, and sometimes he says slow. You know, I've often told you that some of my theology came from children's church, and it's true here. I can remember one time in illustration, we had a a little, uh, you know, traffic light, you know, green light, red light, yellow light, and that kind of thing. And, And we're talking about how God often answers prayer for us. Sometimes when we pray, we get the red light. We don't always like that, do we? But we have to trust a loving God that he knows what he's doing. That's where our will needs to be aligned with his will. And so he's saying, this is not right for you. This is not ultimately what's best for, for, for you and for my glory to shine the brightest. And so, no, red light. Sometimes you get the green light. And sometimes you get that, that yellow light, which means slow, right? Caution. So sometimes you're asking for the right thing, but it's just not the right time. You ever, you, you ever felt like that? Like, man, Lord, you are kind of running behind on this thing, right? Like, you do have, I, I was kind of thinking we had a deadline here, Lord. 
I mean, it's one of those things that we, we were praying as a family this last week. Lord, well, if you left it up to us, here's kind of what we're thinking. Lord, we, we, we don't want to see our, our loved one suffer. So, Lord, here, here's, this is kind of, it's in God's timing. It's in God's hands. The Father's power. And then I want us to notice finally our posture. Our posture. As we move into verse 12, notice what it says. And forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. So the posture is this. We come seeking forgiveness and granting forgiveness. Now, What, what is sin? We, we sang about sin quite a bit this morning in the, in the worship set. What is, what is sin? I think many times, especially in our culture today, we, we can quickly identify sin in other people's lives, but we're slow to see it in our own lives. So we can point the finger of condemnation and go, Phew, you, you dirty, rotten rascal. When really we need to be looking in the mirror. And anytime we come before the Lord, we want to make sure that we come, as the psalmist says, with clean hands and a pure heart. With clean hands and a pure heart. My dad used to often say, son, we have to keep short sin accounts. And as God reveals things to you by his word and by his Holy Spirit, you, you come clean before him in repentance and confession. It is to say the same thing about our sin that God says about our sin. So those things that we would, we would probably classify as a simple misdemeanor, God says, nope, that's a felony. That's a felony. It offends me deeply. And especially when we compare our sin with the sins of others, it's like, well, this is a little thing compared to that. God hates all sin. And so as we pray, we want to come before him, as it says here, and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. There are a lot of different words in Scripture in the original language that get translated as sin. One means to essentially to step across the line, to, to trespass. We think of stepping out of bounds, you might say. There is one word that could be maybe translated a misstep. The most common would be the word hamartia. It's a word from which if we're, if we're saying theologically that we're studying sin, we say we're studying hamartiology. So that is to miss the mark. It's, it's the, the word that you find in Romans chapter 3, verse 23, where it says, For we've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. We miss the mark. And those of you who are into the, the classics, I guess, you might remember Homer spoke of the warrior Hamartie who hurled his spear but missed his foe. That's the idea. Missed the mark. So I've often described it this way. I can remember years ago being at an archery meet, and there were some kids who were, um, you know, they're... they're looking at the target, and they're pulling back. And there'd be a few, these were some younger kids, that they, they would release the arrow, and, and it would fly like toward the target, but then it would go, it would fall short. Every time, it would fall short. That's fundamentally what sin is. If the target is ultimately Christ-likeness, God's glory, then, then, then if we're pulling back the bow, we're pulling back the string, and we're releasing arrows of self-righteousness, or we're trying to do this on our own or without God's help, every time, we're going to miss the mark. In and of ourselves, we miss the mark. So we daily, regularly need God's forgiveness. 
Here's the thing. He says, in the same way that you were forgiven, you're to forgive others. Scripture talks about, don't don't come to the altar with unforgiveness in your heart. Don't come to the place of worship is is really what it's saying there. Don't come come to worship. Don't don't try to enter into your prayer closet and have all this unconfessed sin in your life and, and bitterness and unforgiveness toward others. Just as God has forgiven you, Scripture says in Ephesians chapter 4, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Some time ago, we looked at Matthew chapter 18 and what we know as the parable of the unforgiving servant. And it's this story that Jesus used to to teach this important truth. It's just like appalling. Like, how could you not forgive in the same way you've been forgiven? That's how crazy it is to try to harbor bitterness towards someone else. So what does it look like? Well, we said earlier, and I, I don't want us to miss this, dependence is the heartbeat of prayer. Dependence is the heartbeat of prayer. If, if, if you at all are thinking, if I at all thinking, I got this, or, or I think I got this, and then, but, but if I really need you, I'll let you know. That's not biblical prayer. That's not a prayer rhythm that God wants us to be in. Where we view prayer as just that little fire extinguisher under the sink. In case of emergency. He wants us to walk in a prayer rhythm with him daily. So then we pray reverently in Jesus' name, recognizing who God is, who we're praying to, and who we are not. Okay, Apart from Jesus, we can do nothing, Scripture says. So we pray reverently in Jesus' name. We pray relationally and authentically with authenticity. No hypocrisy. God knows. We pray biblically by asking boldly, but at the same time surrendering completely. Lord, I'm asking you for this. God, I'm I'm, I'm trusting you, but God, ultimately, I want to surrender completely to your will. To your will. Surrender completely. Praying continually and persistently throughout your day. I had a dear brother in one of our churches when I pastored in South Texas. His name was Bob Garcia. He uh, just in this last year went home to be with the Lord. But such a sweet brother. Such an encouragement to me. I've never known someone who lived out the idea of continually being in a place of prayer. You know, I mean, sometimes we see that scripture says, pray without ceasing. We're like, how can I do that? I gotta work. I gotta drive. I gotta, you know, I gotta, I gotta do life. And so what, what does that look like? Well, I'm gonna tell you, Brother Bob, whenever we'd get in the car to go somewhere, you know what he'd do? He wouldn't say, Hey Pastor, can we can we pause for a moment, bow our heads and close our eyes and and, and just lift up? No. You know what he'd do while he was putting on a seatbelt? He would utter a prayer. He would say, God, keep us safe as we travel to Corpus Christi today. That'd be it. And before we would get out of the vehicle to go in and make a hospital visit, where he'd say, Lord, allow us to be a blessing and an encouragement to those that we'll visit with today. I remember one time we literally stopped and got a drink of water at a water fountain. And he said, God, thank you for clean, cool water. I was just, all the time, I was just like, I mean, to me, that, that, that is in many ways what it is to, to, to pray without ceasing, to have a, 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 God, a, a mindfulness that God gives us the little things of life that we so easily take for granted. Do you have that kind of awareness? 
Pray continually and persistently throughout your day. And then pray consistently, individually, each day, regularly with others. You know, we have this strange phenomenon these days that someone can text you, but if you're not in their contacts, you get this text and you're just like, who dis, right? <laughs> you ever had to send that back to someone? Like, uh, I'm sorry, I don't have your... Now, I trust, trust me, that, that will never happen with God. Okay? That's not going to happen with God. Okay, so even if you're here this morning and, and you would say, you know, Pastor, I can't think of the last time I prayed. I mean, really prayed. You guys are going to be like, oh, who dis? But you also don't want to be walking in a place where you so seldom communicate with God that you're not really walking in fellowship with Him. It's daily, it's consistently. Even moment by moment, it's a rhythm of prayer. Would you pray with me? Father, and we just marvel that as the all-knowing, all-powerful God of the universe, you make it possible, you allow us to come into your presence. To communicate with you. You're not just some aloof God who remains distant from us and the world that you've created. Lord, I thank you that you desire to be in relationship with us. I pray this morning that if there is anyone here today, anyone watching online perhaps, who has never turn from their sin to faith in Jesus Christ. They're uncertain about their relationship with you, whether they can truly call you Father. I pray, God, that you would work in their heart and in their life by your Holy Spirit, the power of your word, that they be drawn to you. That those who are dead spiritually would be made alive in Christ Jesus. Lord, help us to be people of prayer. who see prayer as more than some kind of life preserver we only use in case of emergency, but that we would walk daily with you in prayer. Lord, mold us and shape us to who you want us to be. Ultimately, you're for your glory and our good. We give you all the praise and the honor and glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from First Baptist Church of Van Alstine. For more information about our church, visit www.fbcva.com.